Perfect. Well, Stefanos Stefandos, thank you for joining us on Warrior Within today. Thank you for having me, brother. I appreciate being here, Asher. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of the guys in the group will have, will have heard of you and heard of your work, but um, for those that haven't, perhaps you can kind of introduce yourself and, and, and tell us a bit about what it is you do now and maybe even how you got there. Yeah, sure. Um, so what I do in the world now is I really I, I focus in, on masculine feminine dynamics and the, you know, it's also known as contrast dynamics or contrast energetics, polarity dynamics or attraction dynamics as well. So that involves sexuality as part of that. Um, it involves the way we are attracted to each other as men and women and as human beings, full stop, and also the masculine feminine energetic that resides within all of us. I do a lot of deep men's work around that. I work with women as well, and I, um, I work closely with couples to really evolving their relationships and incorporating uh, masculine, feminine dynamic enhancements and how that can actually evolve them as individuals but also improve their, the quality of their relationships. Um, how I got to that point, I mean, the short answer is pain. Uh, my, my, you know, that's really, if, if we use one word, is pain, right? So my own pain, my own experiences, um, you know, I have, I have a varied background in, in psychology, behavioral science, social psychology, philosophy, um, different mind-body modalities. However, yes, I, I, I studied all that because I have a keen interest in human potential and human performance and the mind and all of that and relationships and how the quality of our relationships can really evolve our global society. And when we are in a healthy relationship to ourselves, to our ideals, to what's important to us, our values our romantic partners, our children, um, our communities, like that, everything just gets better, right? And so I'm a big believer in that. And that's why I spend so much time in this area, studying, researching, reflecting on my own life. But really a lot of my lessons and teachings and growth have come from the deep inner work that I've done on myself because of pain, because of trauma that I've experienced as a child, a very volatile, abusive upbringing, um, and all the, you know, the quote-unquote wounding that's, that's come from that. And, um, and just the reflection piece on that and the action taken to really go deeper into those wounds and heal those wounds and, and choose actively and in an empowered way the man that I want to be in the world. And, you know, hence I started really looking at my own sense of masculinity, my own manhood and what does it mean to be human, what does it mean to be a man and started asking those questions and asking those questions with creating a model around and a framework and, and I created... Uh, a number of different models around what it means to be a healthy masculine man in contemporary times. And I, I wrote a lot to that, like a shit ton, um, and developed course curriculum and courses and models out of that because this was what I was experiencing in my own life. And again, it, formal academic research, but a great deal of inter, inter, intrapersonal and intertwined experience in that. And so why I am where I am today is I realised the importance of having healthy relationships because I really didn't have those healthy relationships to myself, to my own sovereignty. My self-worth was low. I mastered with bravado and bullshit and false self-confidence and all of that. And my relationship to my past and my memories and my past experiences, my parents was unhealthy and my family and, and really went through a long journey of, of healing that and understanding that and knowing that. And, um, and getting very clear here in my mind and in my heart and in my body, who do I want to be in the world? How do I want to serve and how do I want to fill my time? What do I want to do in the world and who do I want to be that's going to be fulfilling and meaningful that's also going to add value to the lives of other people? 
And I realized that I can't add value without having who I'm being and what I'm doing, balance of the two, balance of two energetics, doing being masculine, being being feminine. Um, I, can't, I can't do and be that person without of service without carrying meaning in who I am and what I do without feeling fulfilled. So I had to get very real and, and genuine with who I was. And so that's why I am where I am today in short-ish. <laughs> yeah, look, I think it's uh, the idea, you know, coming up with that word pain is kind of the pivotal point there. I think a lot of guys are going to resonate with that. You know, pain, pain is the guru, right? Um, it certainly can be. Yeah, and um, you know, for you, I mean, obviously that's a, that's that, that's a long process. But was there was there a trigger point where you sort of hit a certain depth and and, and everything changed? I mean, you talked about yeah. your childhood and stuff, but obviously, you know, you, you took the time for that self discovery and to turn inward. But was there was there a stage or a phase or a moment yeah. in your life when you said, "Okay, that's enough. I've got to look at this." Yeah, yeah, there was definitely a catalyst and a turning point and experience around that, and. That was a number of years ago where I broke up with a with a partner of mine and, and, and why that all happened was because I was very much out of integrity. I was dishonest and unfaithful in that container and that relationship and she found that out. I didn't even tell her. I wanted her to find out really because I just wanted the relationship to end but I didn't want the relationship to end because I didn't care for her and I just intrinsically knew we were a mismatch and I was just not in a healthy place. I was just out of control, man. I was lying consistently i was living in dishonesty um just really disconnected from myself and 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 really being disrespectful to the relationship lying in the relationship saying yeah i want to be here when parts of me didn't i felt confused i felt constricted i wasn't dealing with my fear of commitment my fear of freedom my fear of intimacy my fear of loss the gamut of fears really um the fear of abandonment and 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 just and all these contradictory states that I was experiencing because I wasn't looking at my stuff. So when that came up, I, I, had, an, I had a path. I, had, I could either continue down a path of ignorance and, and say, okay, well, all of this is normal. This is what people do. This is what men do, whatever, you know, whatever value set I wanted to lay over it. Or say, you know what, this isn't really me living in truth. I mean, if I want to be with all different people and I want to be, I've just got to say that. I just want to be polyamorous. I want to be non-monogamous or I want to be... Uh, only have casual sex. So I, I wasn't saying anything that I was feeling. And I started digging deeper into, okay, why? Because I'm courageous in all these other areas of my life. I take all these risks in other areas of my life. What's happening here? What's really fucking gnawing at me? Like it must be something very strong and powerful because I'm usually generally outspoken. Why now am I not? Why, why are these fears, fear of losing my partner, fear of losing my freedom, but then I, I want to have my cake and eat it too. And all this you know, I could have just said, hey, to my partner, hey, look, uh, I'm just in a place where I want to be with other women, intimately, emotionally, sexually. Like, if that doesn't suit you, I get it, but that's what I want to do. And I'm not going to do it, you know, unless we're on board. But if you're not on board, we're going to end the relationship. I mean, that would be the mature thing to do. Right? Or even more mature would be to explore why I want that, get clear, make sure it's coming from a healthy place, and then have that conversation. But I wasn't doing that. And I hurt her deeply, and I hurt myself, and I hurt the relationship and the potential of the relationship. Now, we were meant to be together and there were many reasons for that. And I get that, but that was the catalyst for that. And I really decided to go deep and what really helped with the opportunity that I had, which for me is a blessing. We didn't actually break up for a number of months after she found that out. Now her pattern would have been to just leave immediately, just get out. Right. Um, but she didn't, she stayed and she did, she cared for me and I, we cared for each other. And that was genuine. It was just a lot of wounding. And, and I don't want to speak for her. I'm just speaking for myself, but 
you know, in, in that wounding is generally complimentary, but there's a lot of wounding for me. And I was able to work through a lot of that with her in real time with a person that I actually hurt, not just, you know, saying to myself, oh, I'm going to next, next partner I get or next relationship, I'm going to be solid. I'm going to be transparent, which I was, and um, I, I could be, but I think a big part of that was because I got to do this with her and we went through hell, man, in those few months. There were some mm. high points, but fuck, it was tough. I mean, I, I, we went into counseling, psychology and energy work. We went all in, man. I was, I, I, I stopped working. I went into debt. I, I fucking, I was using my credit cards. I was just, I went all in on the healing, no matter what. Like, I was just determined to just decompress this pain and unpack it. And so, yeah, we went in and that was a, that was a big catalyst for me, but that was life changing. I mean, I, I don't think I'd be here today without all that effort and energy and, and really the, the, the resilience through and the toughness through and the compassion needed to go through those very tough confronting times. Yeah. Wow, man. It sounds as if you really made the decision to get um, radically honest with yourself. Yep. And uh, yeah. And that's um. To me, that's kind of the biggest step that a man can take. It's very, very hard to do to actually be honest with yourself in terms of what's going on for you and then really do the work to heal that. So um, mm. when a man comes to you, is that kind of, um, I guess, lesson one, like you're going to have to, you know, own up to your shit and put your hand up? Ownership and responsibility is a key ten- one of the key tenets and principles of my models. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if I was a guy, you know, feeling that, that gnawing in the guts, some of the things that you're talking about, that pain beginning to surface, um, how, how does one work with you? Well, it depends. It depends if we're in physical person or if we're virtual. Um, however, that doesn't make too much of a difference. Um, I've, over the years, I've developed a, a subtlety and an art around actually working virtually, which is super, super effective still. Um, however, I would want that man to feel his stuff. He may need to verbalize and articulate it in language first in, in mental constructs because men work very well into intellectually or in mental construct, compartmentalizing ideas and things and, and places. I would gently and, and sometimes a little more than gently just pull out and help him really put into buckets and categories what's going on and feel those feelings in a very safe place. And before all that happens, we have to develop trust. We have to cultivate trust. He needs to feel safe unconsciously at the very least, if not consciously and not judged and not, and, and not, not critique, not, not, uh, not have his trust violated either. And so that's a process that we develop over time. And it doesn't really take that long if there's a good connection there. Mm. And I obviously have a big focus on fostering that connection, but really it's about, creating mental constructs about the, around this pain, asking some very potent and pertinent questions and making connections where he, he couldn't before to give him aha moments to take him down other rabbit holes and then feeling the feelings associated with those experiences that once happened in, in a core wounded way that he gets to now feel in the first, for a first, maybe for the first time ever um, and that were unfelt at the time and gets to release that from his body in a safe way and get, be witnessed in that by other men. Um, if it's group work that we're doing, then he gets to get witnessed by other men, which is very powerful as well. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You talk about the group work. So obviously, you know, you're connected to, to Sacred Sons um, and we're sort of hearing more and more about their work in Australia. Um, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about um, A, your connection there and B, kind of, you know, what happens in Sacred Sons and how that kind of process works. Yeah, so Sacred Sons asked me to be part of the... Their, their team early on 
Um, and I'm a pillar facilitator now as well. So, we, you know, we, we coordinate a great deal of events and big part of that. I'm very grateful to be part of that. It's an amazing group of men. And we just, we help men break free of their shit. Work through, we do a lot of shadow work, a lot of shadow work with men, give them tools and practices, daily practices, support rituals, online, offline, where they can lean into and lean on to help them with their everyday challenges in their families, in their relationships. My pillar is the relationship pillar. There's four core pillars. There's four of us and then there's the, the triad as well and or the quad that sort of run more logistics and so forth. And and we just we just go at it, man. We're just helping men feel safe and feel free. And there's techniques and tools that we use. There's different psychological methodologies that we use. We use a Gestalt-style therapy. We, we um, use different techniques and shadow work as well. There's um, uh, psychosomatic, physiological techniques, breath work. I'm a breath work practitioner, so we do a lot of breath work with men as well, whether it's individual, not just men, but couples, women, so forth. But when we're working with the men, we take large groups through breath work too. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful organisation and movement a tribe and family and brotherhood to be a part of. Yeah, it seems like when I read um, the material, it seems like it has quite a, um, you know, I hesitate to use the word spiritual because it can connotate all sorts of things which I'm, which I'm not aiming at. But, you know, it, it's, it talks about alchemy and ancient wisdom and, and there's a bit of a, a sort of spiritual bent to it. Is that, is that yeah. true or is that just on the surface? It depends how you define spirituality. Yeah. Um, however, there's, there's definitely... Um, processes connected to ancient wisdom and archetypal language and archetypal constructs and understanding the evolution of masculinity and man and how we've evolved as men in tribes um, from hundreds of thousands of years ago to where we are today and the process that we've undergone symbolically but also actually you know, in, in, in relationship to ourselves and to others. So, yeah, there's archetypal language that's used. There's um processes beyond just looking at you know materialism or looking at uh, normative socioeconomic constructs and going, oh, let's get back to land let's get back to nature let's connect back to earth connect back to spirit connect back to self connect back to tribe and community and that community wisdom um and not do this alone so yeah there's i mean it depends how you define spirituality for me i define spirituality as connectedness yeah. yes there's an element of immateriality there um, but essentially it's connectedness. It really depends how you define spirituality. Yeah, I mean, that definition certainly resonates with me. I guess what I like about, about the stuff that you do, Steph, and what I see is you seem to have that nice blend of bringing in that kind of ancient connectedness, yeah. um, but also you use a contemporary kind of modern language, which so you really you're going to hopefully resonate with quite a broad cross-section yeah. of the community. Yeah, I'm very deliberate and purposeful in doing that because I believe in ancient wisdom a great deal and I also believe in contemporary wisdom and modern medicine and modern psychology and neuroscience and understanding how our brain works and understanding how the psyche interacts with the physiology and understanding how we interact with other people and how we see ourselves and how we see others and how we're also connected to earth and Pachamama, Mama Gaia, whatever you want to call it, you know, like, but, but this actual this ecology that houses our, our existence essentially. You know? um, so yeah, there, there's a very deliberate blend of the old and the, and the contemporary. Um, I think we have a lot to learn from the old and the ancient ways, not everything because, you know, someone can say to me, well, what, what do you mean, Steph? I mean, there was great oppression in Egypt. There was great oppression. There were wars. There were, you know, look at ancient Rome. It was all about oppression and, and look at Mesopotamia and look at Alexander the great. Everyone just wants to fucking conquer. And how is that healthy? That, that's ancient. That's old. 
talking about pulling the stuff that actually, you know, that, that is more connected and inclusive and that is more growth promoting and community orientated, but also that is more sovereign and that comes from a healthy place as well. And so, you know, we, we like me, like you, you're going to cherry pick what, what you feel works and what you feel is valuable um, and you're going to leave behind what doesn't work. And that's the benefit that we have with hindsight looking back, right? Like it's a, it, that, that's the, the beautiful thing. We can say, okay, that really worked, but that really didn't based on our version or understanding of historical events or specific historical events. And then we can take that and say, well, what do we want to create? Which then becomes foresight. And foresight's important because foresight, the vision of who we want to be or what we think we can become and create and do based on our values and our ideals, our ideologies, and our beliefs, really constructs the actions that we take in the present moment. And so there's a balance there for me, yeah. Yeah, perfect. And I guess looking into, I'm, I'm thinking about your heritage yourself, Steph, and thinking um, particularly um, the Greek kind of history in terms of, you know, I know Robert Wine <laughs> and all the others used to talk about Zeus energy. And obviously there's some amazing stories with Homer's Odyssey, which is such an yeah. you know, archetypal hero's journey. And, and yeah. do you kind of dig into that stuff given it's in your own heritage? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have, a, I have a very strong connection to Vedantic philosophy and Vedantic way of being and the Upanishads, but definitely very strong connection to ancient Greece as well. Yeah. And Egypt, man. I'm very fascinated by these ancient cultures. Yeah, they have so China, much. ancient China, India. Yeah, yeah, they have, they have, we have so much to learn, and there's so much that's uh, so much forgotten wisdom there. And it's yeah. interesting you talk about the fact that some people might kind of latch onto the oppressive side of it, but you know, no one's denying that there's 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 always been a shadow. Like even when we look back into the, the ancient wisdom, right? Yeah, I think it's part. I don't, I don't think the shadows are going to disappear. I don't, and I don't think they need to disappear. I think our relationship to our shadows evolve. That's what it's about. That's what it needs to be about. That's that's where growth unravels. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, the more you dig into it, the more you're going to find there in the corners that you haven't looked at. It's yeah. like, uh, what did yeah. Joseph Campbell say? It's like, you know, um, um, the brighter you shine the light, the, the, the more volume of darkness you expose. Yeah, yeah, which is a beautiful saying. He's one of my favourite philosophers, authors, contemporary and ancient. I just absolutely uh, I love him. And I, I really resonate with his cross-cultural mythology and, and how his attempt to really essentially not only look at myth story and allegory and how that has served the collective psyche you know with Carl Jung's work and the collective unconscious and how we interpret our own existence but how he's really tried to bond and bind people together and and that we're not really that much different from each other you know and all these cultures across different time spans in different corners of the world doing such similar things what is that you know it's fucking powerful it really is man and, and without you know, without the knowledge they were doing similar things, you know, so it's kind yeah. of innate in, in the system somewhere. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so do you, I mean, connecting onto that, do you, where do you sit with that sort of mythopoetic movement of, of Bly and, and Hillman and Mead? And do you, do you look into that stuff as well? Like the, the whole Iron John way? I yeah, guess? got Iron John in the back there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I, I think there's a great deal of value in, I, I want to say almost anything, man, even, even something that you don't value, like, even something that I don't value, there's value in it. Mm. There's a reason why I don't value and it gives me clarity into, okay, I've got to continue down the path that I'm on. So yeah, I, I do, I do, I, I do feel there's value in the mythopathic movement. I also feel there's probably a, a slight excessive softness um, to how masculinity is defined 
and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make masculinity harsh because it's not masculinity is not harsh. It's not about that. I just think that they're products of their culture and their time as well. Right? Like we all are, you are, I am, and it's where, you know, we're, we're products of our, of our culture and our time, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's, there's, there's no wrong or right. I, I'm very fascinated. I'm very moved by their their work. I'm very um, influenced by their work as well in different ways. Um, and I, I just, I play with it. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm, I'm, I'm human, you know. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm still on the path of growth and learning. I, yeah, I know a heap of shit and there's a heap of shit I don't know. Mm. So, <laughs> and embodied, you know, integrated as well. There's, there's a lot that I've integrated and there's a lot that I'm still yet to integrate. I'm, Sure, with the way tech's going, and hopefully if the virus doesn't kill fucking everyone, um, <laughs> you know, like I, I will live to 130, 140, 150, and I there's a lot to to grow into that, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I guess that leads on to a bigger question, and that's you know, if there was a message for our group, for our warrior within group about kind of you know, I guess a very broad question but what it means to, to kind of be a man in 2020 in these times you know what, what, what would what would your the snippet of advice or not advice i guess words be yeah well the first thing i would say is you know no one has the right to define being a man for you you've got to define that for yourself and that's for me that's part of the empowering sovereign process you know the 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 four the four core archetypes that um that are spoken through you know the, the magician the lover uh, the warrior and the sovereign or the king it's originally the sovereign um, you, you know that they no one has a right to tell you who you are and how you must act in your life if you want to you know go, go on that and, and part of that why I say I can't tell you what it means to be a man in 2020 I can tell you what maybe it means for me I can give you some um, and, I'll, and I'll go into that actually and the reason why I, I mentioned the four archetypes is because the sovereign you are your own man. And so if you're your own man, you've got to define for you what it means to be a man. Now, no doubt you're going to be influenced by people, maybe me, maybe someone else, maybe a book that was written a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. You're going to be influenced by decisions and choices and, and actions and belief systems and values and family exposure and how you've dealt with trauma and all these different things, right? You're going to be influenced by many factors, but ultimately you've got to be autonomous enough or, or sovereign enough to come to that conclusion yourself. What I will say is there's two components to being a man. <clears throat> what it means to be a good man and what it means to be good at being a man. Two very different things. And we've got to figure both out. What it means to be good at being a man is considered slightly more objective. What it means to be a good man is more of a cultural construct or a subjective term. And what I mean by that is this. I'm going to give you an example of a suicide bomber. I don't mean any offense to any any culture here. Just let the let the any religious connotation guys got fuck all to do with that. Um, and if you're offended, probably need to check his level of sensitivity. <laughs> but again, in caveating that, if you've been affected by someone that has done that and in some way, family, friends, etc., then I'm I'm deeply compassionate about that. But this is a very extreme example for a very clear reason, because extreme examples can really define. Um, notions, forms, and constructs, right? So a suicide bomber goes and does his or her thing. Usually it's a he. So we're just going to say it's a he, okay? Does his thing. Now, irrespective of the outcome, whether he hurts someone, kills people, etc., maybe he doesn't, right? Touch what he doesn't. 
However, how he's perceived from his cultural in main major in-group, his dominant in-group, right? They're hailing him a hero, a saint, a savior, a holy person. Someone else looking, looking outside, you know, it's not affiliated with that main in-group or culture, he's in part of the out-group, is looking at him and saying, he's disgusting. He's not a healthy man. That's weak. He's being a victim. He's, um, he's, he's mentally not right. His actions are wrong. So the same action, same thing, same event, elicits completely two different responses. One is saying essentially he's good and the other is saying he's bad. So that, that, that subjective notion of what it means to be a good man is really defined by your culture, your immediate environment, your in-group, your peer group, um, your va- the values of your culture or your nation or your city or your country, whatever it may be, right? Your, your continent. So that's different. But what it means to be good at being a man, that's, that's a different conversation. So when we look at that, we can look at tracing back our, um, we, can, we can almost trace back our masculinity per se, right? So what, what do I mean by that? We, we trace back to what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be good at being a man? Like that's, that's interesting, right? Because at some level, we've evolved from caveman days, right? Our environment and landscape was very different than what it is now. We've, we were, we've evolved from a place of pure flight, fight and freeze form, right? Things have changed. Our consciousness has evolved, how we see ourselves, how we understand the world, how we, how we relate to the cosmos. Our social systems are far more complex and layered. Our brain development has skyrocketed. But, the, but however, the role of man, um, it really, it still is in the body. It is very relevant still, right? And what I mean by that is our biology still affects us. Our biology still influences who we are. So there's something called the, um, the tactical virtues, right? And I'll try and think of his name now. Let me just, oh, no, I've got his book here. Ah, that's right. Jack Donovan. Mm-hmm. Jack Donovan speaks to the tactical virtues and he, he lists four. T- I don't know if they're his or he just speaks to them. I can't remember that, but he speaks to four tactical virtues and these virtues aren't exclusive to man. Although the word virtue is uh, it, when you look at the Latin word, the, the etymological meaning is more connected to men, but irrespective of these characteristics aren't exclusive to man. However, man has required these set of expressive virtues more than women in order to evolve and to grow into who we are today and to survive. And so his, tact- his four tactical virtues are strength, courage, mastery, and honor. Hmm. Now, and if for him, these define primal masculinity. And, and I resonate with that. I like that. I've also added connectivity to that as a fifth tactical virtue. I think it's very important as what's actually helped us evolve as pen. And I'll talk to it in a minute. So I think it's, it's worth me um, speaking to this, right? So... Essentially, man's not an island and man has not evolved largely, largely in solitude. We've evolved in tribe and in relation to each other, right? And we've become who we've become in tribe and connectivity as a tactical virtue. It really is actually living true to our natural or original states of connection. So in a band level society or gang, 
these these sort of these five tactical virtues that men would look for and value in other men and that's the connectivity piece that's where it's so important because men who are strong courageous competent loyal make better cooperative hunters fighters protectors setting the perimeter looking after each other and these are the parts that we still look for in in relationships with other men we look for men are they trustworthy are they strong are they courageous mentally strong emotionally strong do they have mastery do they honor themselves and honor others like through their loyalty, through, the, through their commitment to their mastery, you know, with their hand, whether it's, it's a craft or an art that they're, they're essentially really connected to and their movement through the world. And if we deny this essential larger part of our primal and core masculinity, I think we're denying what it means to be a man. So where we expand on this though, and this is where I start adding more to this, is in our consciousness. So we combine primal masculinity with a new wave of higher consciousness. So now I'm talking about, you ask, what does it mean to be a man in 2020? So this is honoring our physiology whilst being willing to expand the notion of man in contemporary times, which holds a greater awareness because of our brain development, because of our ability to think in past, present and future, because of our ability to connect, quote unquote, spiritually in a very different way than, you know, maybe we, we have in the past. So that answers for me responds to your question in the best way i can in the shortest amount of time i can with you giving some substance and detail so there's some um reference point to what i'm speaking to man i i, I really love that i think um we talk a lot about this kind of modern masculinity being about this kind of combination of the primal and the divine i guess you know the divine being the, the connectedness piece and you're talking about the, the consciousness piece and um I think you've just outlaid that beautifully with those five tactical values because you've added, you know, those four pieces of primal, but now you've added in the fifth that brings in perhaps a missing part for a lot of men, which is this connectedness piece. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of guys out there listening to this are going to really, really resonate with, with that. So thank you. Thanks, Will. Yeah. So, man, yeah, I guess, you know, um, finally, you're, you're sitting there in Austin, Texas. Um, there's obviously an Aussie accent there, so I, need, yeah. I, I can't let you go without kind of telling us how, how you connected back to, back to Australia and you know, how, how you ended yeah, up yeah. sitting over there in Texas. Yeah, of course, yeah. So I was born in, in East Fremantle, Western Australia. Um, Fremantle, one of the best places in the world, and I, and I put my hand in my heart. I, I love that place. Um, and I then sort of the first few years of my life grew up in Greece. My father's Greek and he wanted to go back there and try and make a, try and make it work there to live there. But it was just very difficult economically. Um, and so we came back to Australia, but we would go there every year or two years to see family. It was a very strong family connection, which was very hard because I had such strong connection with my cousins and my uncle, my uncles and aunties, but particularly one uncle, actually, in fact, all my uncles and aunties and just it was really hard leaving and, but yeah, hence the Australian accent. And then really when I was 18, man, I just, I finished high school. I went to university late. I traveled a lot, worked on cruise ships. I, I traveled a lot of the world, um, a great deal of, I've been to 70 countries um, and many of those countries multiple, multiple times. And just, just really, that's the Australian accent. Why I'm here in the US is because my wife is American. So, <laughs> so she's a US citizen. So, we decided to live here um, and very happy here, you know, with what's happening in the world now. And that's maybe a different conversation, but, you know, geopolitically, socioeconomically, it's interesting times. Um, again, I don't, don't necessarily need to go down that rabbit hole, but, um, you know, happy here in, in, in the US. So Christine's family is here in Austin. It's, it's a beautiful place. We travel a lot. 
Um, again, with what's happening now, I hope that's still possible. I mean, either way, we'll, you know, we'll make decisions as we go. But um, we travel a lot. We, we do a lot of work in Europe. Um, we're in Australia once, twice a year. Um, so, you know, when it gets really hot here in Austin, um, which is sort of like, you know, June, July, August, September, we're pretty much, pretty much away. You know, we're in California. We have a lot of connection there, friends there, work there. Um, you know, we're in Europe. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, Austin's a beautiful place. Yeah, and it sort of suits you, I guess, in terms of what you're doing. Um, yeah. The space there in Austin is, is pretty much geared towards that. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure. I've done the South by Southwest thing there, and I actually, actually love, I love Austin, Texas. It's beautiful. Yeah, cool place, man. It's really, very surprisingly, you know, Texas, it's so green here, man. So we, yeah. we have a beautiful, we're very blessed. We have a beautiful green belt view. It's, yeah, it's really nice here, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an ocean baby, so not being near the ocean's hard, but, no, I made, I made the decision, you know, my, my, my wife's an amazing human being. And so we spoke about this. She said, look, you've, you know, you've come from Australia. That, that's, that was hard for me, difficult because of my, my, my brothers, my connection there, my friends, you know, my, my soul tribe there. And I also know I needed to be in the US and really expanded rapidly because of that and wanted to be with my wife. We just feel it's a good place to be. And so, we're looking at, okay, where do we go next? Do we stay in California? Do we go in Austin? And for some reason, I'm just really pulled here. Mm. And I just kept telling Christine, I'm just pulled here. Every time we come visit mum and dad, I just, I'm really pulled here. Like I feel, and I fuck knows why, because <laughs> I'm an ocean guy. Like it doesn't make sense for me to want to be here, but I just want to listen to that intuition. And so, you know, we'll give it a go for two, three years. If it doesn't work after a year or two, we'll go back to Cali. Yeah, no, it sounds, sounds like a good plan, man. And, and just Very finally... Privileged. When you come to Australia, do you run, is that more for fun or do you run stuff Both. when you're out here? Okay. Yeah, yeah, we ran a workshop in, in Brisbane um, when we were there in um, December, mm-hmm. um, which was great. Uh, we were going to do one in Sydney, but it was just we, we just wanted to relax a little. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, But yeah, generally we do. We do uh, work there and, and pleasure as well. Yeah. Okay. So when you say we, are you talking about you and your wife doing things? Yeah. She's in the same space, so she, she works in that space? Yeah, yeah, we're in the same place. Yeah, she's in a transformational space as well and has been for many years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we do, we, we run things together. We have a our brand called Love Amplified, um, which is super powerful. We're running a, an amazing event here in Austin at, at the end of September, Love Amplified Retreat for five-day retreat. Yeah, so it's cool. Perfect. And, and so how, how do we find you guys? Well, you and, and, and you too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So christinehassler.com is my wife's um, URL and mine is uh, stephanosstefandos.com and you can find us on any of the social channels at stephanosstefandos or at Christine Hassler. Perfect, perfect. Well, look, man, thanks, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, I, yeah. I appreciate that and um, hopefully, you know, some of the guys will, will reach out to you or at least sort of hook into what it is you're doing because there's so much wisdom there and um, just appreciate the time you spent with me today. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Ash. I appreciate you having me, man, and and blessings to you, brother. Thank you so much. No worries.